Chapter Three of Hands of Iceland by Victor Hugo, translated by Abby Langdon Alger. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Sonia. Chapter Three. Ah, my heart could receive no more painful wound. A young man destitute of morals. He dared gaze at her. His glance soiled her purity. Claudia, the mere thought drives me mad. Lessing. Andrew, go and order them to ring the curfew bell in half an hour. Let Sorcil relieve Duckness at the portcullis, and Melvidius keep watch on the platform of the great tower. Let a careful lookout be kept in the direction of the Lion of Schleswig dungeon. Do not forget to fire the cannon at seven o'clock as a signal to lift the harbour chain. But no, we must wait a little for Captain Dispolson. Better light the signals instead and see if the Walderhog beacon is lighted, as I ordered today. Be sure to keep refreshments ready for the captain. And I forgot. Give Torik Belfast, the second musketeer of the regiment, two days arrest. He has been absent all day. So said the sergeant-at-arms beneath the black and smoky roof of the Munkholm guardhouse in the low tower over the outer castle gate. The soldiers addressed left their carts or bed to carry out his orders. Then silence was restored. At this moment, the measured beat of oars was heard outside. That must be Captain Dispolson at last, said the sergeant, opening the tiny grated window which looked out upon the gulf. A boat was just landing at the foot of the iron gate. Who goes there? cried the sergeant in hoarse tones. Open, was the answer. Peace and safety. There is no admittance here. Have you a passport? Yes. I must make sure of that. If you lie by the merits of my patron saint, you shall taste the waters of the gulf. Then, closing the lattice and turning away, he added, It is not the captain yet. A light shone behind the iron gate. The rusty bolts creaked, the grating rose, the gate opened, and the sergeant examined the parchment handed him by the newcomer. Pass in, said he. But stay, he added hastily. Leave your head buckle outside. No one is allowed to enter the prisons of the state wearing jewels. The order declares that the king and the members of the royal family the viceroy and members of the viceregal family, the bishop and the officers of the garrison, are alone accepted. You come under none of these heads, do you? The young man, without reply, removed the forbidden ornament, and flung it to the fisherman who brought him thither in payment of his services. The latter, fearing lest he might repent his generosity, made haste to put a broad expanse of sea between the benefactor and his benefit while the sergeant, grumbling at the chancellor's imprudence in being so prodigal with his passes, replaced the clumsy bars, and while the lingering sound of his heavy boots still echoed on the stairs leading to the guardhouse, the young man, throwing his mantle over his shoulder, hurriedly crossed the dark vault of the low tower, the long parade-ground and the ordnance-room where lay a few old dismantled culverins still to be seen in the Copenhagen Museum, all nearer approach to which was forbidden by the warning cry of the sentinel. He reached the great portcullis, which was raised on sight of his parchment. Thence, followed by a soldier, he crossed diagonally, without hesitation, and like one familiar with the place, one of the four square courts which skirt the great circular yard, in whose midst rose the huge round rock upon which stood the dungeon, called the castle of the Lion of Schleswig, from the forced sojourn there of Jotham the Lion, Duke of Schleswig, held captive by his brother, Rolf the Dwarf. It is not our purpose to give a description of Munkholm Keep, the more so that the reader, confined in a state prison, might fear that he could not escape through the garden. He would be mistaken, 
For the castle of the Lion of Schleswig, meant for prisoners of distinction only, among other conveniences affords them the pleasure of a walk in a sort of wild garden of considerable extent, where clumps of holly, a few ancient yews, and some dark pines grow among the rocks around the lofty prison, inside an enclosure of thick walls and huge towers. Reaching the foot of the round rock, the young man climbed the rude winding steps which lead to the foot of one of the towers of the enclosure, having a postern below, which served as the entrance to the keep. Here he blew a loud blast on a copper horn handed to him by the warder of the great portcullis. "'Come in, come in!' eagerly exclaimed a voice from within. "'It must be that confounded captain!' As the postern swung open, the newcomer saw, in a dimly lighted Gothic apartment, a young officer stretched carelessly upon a pile of cloaks and reindeer skins, beside one of the three-beaked lamps which our ancestors used to hang from the roseburg of their ceilings, and which at this moment stood upon the ground. The elegance and indeed excessive luxury of his dress was in strong contrast with the bare walls and rude furniture. He held a book and turned slightly toward the newcomer. "'Is it you, Captain? How are you, Captain? You little suspected that you were keeping a man waiting who has not the pleasure of your acquaintance. But our acquaintance will soon be made, will it not? Begin by receiving my commiseration upon your return to this venerable castle. Short as my stay here may be, I shall soon be about as gay as the owl nailed at dungeon doors to serve as scarecrow. And when I return to Copenhagen, to my sister's wedding feast, the deuce take me if four women out of a hundred will know me. Tell me, are the knots of pink ribbon at the hem of my doublet still in fashion? Has anyone translated a new novel by that Frenchwoman, Mademoiselle Scudery? I have Clelia. I suppose people are still reading it in Copenhagen. It is my code of gallantry, now that I am forced to sigh remote from so many bright eyes. For, bright as they are, the eyes of our young prisoner, you know who I mean, have never a message for me. Ah, were it not for my father's orders. I must tell you in confidence, Captain, that my father, but don't mention it, charge me to, you understand me, Schumacher's daughter. But I have my labor for my pains. That pretty statue is not a woman. She weeps all day long and never looks at me. The young man, unable thus far to interrupt the officer's extreme volubility, uttered an exclamation of surprise. What? What did you say? Charged you to seduce the daughter of that unfortunate Schumacher. Seduce? Well, so be it, if that is the name you give it now in Copenhagen. But I defy the devil himself to succeed. Day before yesterday, being on duty, I put on for her express benefit a superb French ruff sent direct from Paris. Would you believe that she never even raised her eyes to look at me? Although I passed through her room three or four times clinking my new spurs, whose rowels are no bigger than a Lombardy ducat. That's the newest fashion, isn't it? Heavens, heavens, said the young man, striking his forehead. But this confounds me. I thought it would, rejoined the officer, mistaking the meaning of the remark. Not to take the least notice of me. It is incredible, and yet it is true. The young man strode up and down the room in violent excitement. Won't you take some refreshment, Captain Dispolsen? cried the officer. The young man started. I am not Captain Dispolsen. What? said the officer angrily, sitting up as he spoke. And pray, who are you then that venture to introduce yourself here at this hour? 
the young man displayed his papers. I wish to see Count Griffenfeld. I would say, your prisoner. The Count, the Count, muttered the officer in some displeasure. But, to be sure, this paper is in order. Here is the signature of Vice-Chancellor Grumman de Knud. Admit the bearer to visit all the royal prisons at any hour and at any time. Grumman de Knud is brother to old General Levin de Knud, who is in command at Trondheim. And you must know that this old general had the bringing up of my future brother-in-law. Thanks for these family details, Lieutenant. Don't you think you have told me enough of them? The impertinent fellow is right, said the lieutenant, biting his lips. Hello there, officer, officer of the tower. Escort this stranger to Schumacher. And do not scold if I have taken down your lamp with three beaks and but one wick. I was curious to examine an article which is doubtless the work of Scholt the Pagan or Haver the Giant Killer. And besides, it is no longer the fashion to hang anything but crystal chandeliers from the ceiling. With these words, as the young man and his escort crossed the deserted dungeon garden, the martyr to fashion resumed the thread of the love adventures of the Amazonian Clelia and Horatius the One-Eyed. End of chapter 3